Hey, welcome back to the Resilient Fire podcast. I want to build on the last episode that I pushed out that was all about our kingdom identity. And the scripture for this today comes from the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, which says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that's it. That's the only verse that we're going to go off of. So if you remember on the last podcast, you might remember that I brought up the topic of shedding our false identity and living our, in our God-given or our kingdom identity. We talked about the story of Gideon, who, having lived in fear of the Midianites for seven years, was threshing wheat on a winepress floor. He had a dad who had built an altar to a false god named Baal, and he admitted that he was the smallest member in the weakest clan in Manasseh. Gideon was living in his self-assumed false identity, but God in his grace and mercy and love came to him and reminded him that he was a mighty man of valor who had strength and who had might. And after a series of other events, Gideon ended up destroying his father's altar to Baal, defeating the Midianites with 300 men and killed their kings, ensuring the Israelites to have another 40 years of peace and stability. So in this episode, I want to build on that topic because it's important to know, well, what's next? Okay, so Gideon finds out who he is and then God sends him on this mission. What's the big deal? Well, if you remember, I ended the podcast with a reference to Matthew 28 verse 20 when Jesus assures his disciples that he will be with them. Gideon had also had the same assurance from the Lord. But the verse before this one encapsulates what we know as the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and I will be with you until the end of the age. So here's the big deal. There is an imperative. There is a task. There is a mission that had been given to the disciples. But you know what? It doesn't apply to only his disciples. It applies to us Christians today. We must go and make disciples. And there is a best practice way to do that. You see, God in his magnificence knew at the time of creation that we wouldn't be able to work his kingdom alone. After all, that was only good. It wasn't until God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And that's from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, and the first half of 31. God knew that man couldn't thrive alone. God knew the solution was to put him with another person. And in this case, it was the woman, and by default, he established the biblical foundation for marriage between man and woman, and he provided the only way in which humans can multiply between man and woman, so we get our first view of biblical community. God made humans to live in community so that we can thrive off of one another. Nowhere do I read in the Bible about flocks of platypus, or flocks of desert tortoises, or of polar bears, or of Hawaiian monk seals, or snow leopards, or chuckwalla lizards. You see, these are some of the most solitary animals in the world. They all thrive on their own. Instead, God's chosen people are called the flock of sheep, and they follow a shepherd. Now, while sheep can live on their own, they thrive when they are in a flock and they have a shepherd to follow. There is a reason God's word uses specific words like flock of sheep. It's because it's true. God created human beings to be in community with one another. The Bible is full of examples of community. 
Of course, we had perfect community with God prior to the fall, but when sin entered the world, it broke our community with him and impacted our ability to have perfect community with one another. Adam blame shifted to Eve, their sons quarreled, one was killed, so we weren't really off to the best start. But we see continually through the Old Testament more examples of of community. Moses would organize the people of Israel by tribe and family. We see relationships between David and Jonathan, or Elijah and Elisha, or Ruth and Naomi. We see community in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus was never alone. He would always go pray by himself, but he was with God the Father. He was never, you know, you never saw one disciple just doing his own thing. You look at people like Paul, he always had people with him, Barnabas and Luke and Titus and Timothy, just to name a few. So when you look at the Bible, community is how God designed us to live because he knew and he knows that we are not good alone. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read that it was springtime when the kings go off to war. However, King David opted not to go and he decided instead to send Joab and the whole Israelite army. Now, we don't know why he stayed behind, but he was alone. And we read in verse 2, One evening David got up from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, some things happened, and in verse 5, The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, the rest of the story in this particular portion of the Bible doesn't get much better, but I'll keep this illustration to make this point. Instead of David being in community, as in with his fellow kings and generals, who were united behind a singular mission, waging war like he should have been doing, instead, David is alone, at night, wandering on a rooftop, and he spots Bathsheba bathing. We don't do well when we are alone. Lisa Turkhurst is an author and founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries who says, The enemy knows if he can isolate us, he can intimidate us, confuse us, deceive us, and ultimately make us believe that the safer paths in life are the ones apart from God and our friends who serve God. I could not agree more. God's work gets done best when we are in community with other believers. As one writer explains, quote, Christian community moves us beyond the self-interested isolation of private lives and beyond the superficial social contacts that pass for, quote-unquote, Christian fellowship, close quote. Christian community is scattered throughout the New Testament in all of the one another's, right? You've got love one another, forgive each other, teach and correct each other, encourage one another, and as we'll talk about in a few minutes, pray for each other, carry each other's burdens, So communities, you know, they're groups of individuals, presumably with their own identities, who usually share a common understanding about something. This is, or at least it should be, true of us as as Christians. I mean, we can go back and look at 1 Timothy 3.16. This is kind of the common confession. And it says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. See, centuries ago, Christians would unite and they would say that, like, hey, this is what we believe. It's the common confession. And if they could do that thousands of years ago, we should be able to do the same thing. Thankfully, today, we also have the Apostles' Creed, you know, that often starts as Christian, what do you believe? It's that unifying belief among all Christians. 
So what I am saying is communities thrive when they are united in pursuit of that common understanding. I mean, look at the teams in the Super Bowl, right? We had the Eagles and the Chiefs, but not only the teams, but also the fans in the stadium and all over the world. All of them had a common understanding that they were the best team in the NFL and they were all united in pursuit of that belief. It was their mission to execute. So when we go back to the Great Commission, Jesus gives his community of disciples and the community of Christians a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, after having spent 23 years in the military, I love this. I love that the leader has provided a clear mission. But what, what happens when we don't have a team or a group or a community which is not united in effort towards a clear goal? It's chaos. People don't know who's in charge. People don't know what they're doing, where they're going, how they're supposed to do it, nor why they're doing it. And as we see time and time again, whether it's on a T-ball field or a battlefield or in a cubicle field, when this happens, the mission fails and the community suffers. So just before he ascends to be with God the Father, Jesus gives the mission, go and make disciples. His mission today is the same as it was then. But I fear that we've become too comfortable and too consumeristic and we've lost the sight of the mission the Barna Group, with their 40-plus years of experience studying and tracking the role of faith in America, reported a 20% decline in practicing Christians between 2000 and 2020. And practicing Christians are those who strongly agree that faith is very important in their lives and have attended church within the past month. The Barna Group also reported one-third fewer Americans attending church weekly than in 1993. So while the, while the statistics lead to certain conclusions and assumptions, I contend that part of the decline is because we have drifted away from this community and mission mindset. Additionally, many of us, both individually as well as corporately, as the body of Christ, have tried to find community online. Yeah, I mean, it was easy to do when we were restricted from being able to gather in person to do literally anything, including worship. But when you look at this, this led many people to choose comfort and convenience over commitment to community. And now what do we see, particularly in the church? We've seen some churches stream themselves out of existence. We've seen people bounce from church to church around the world in an effort to find the quote-unquote perfect church for them without any face-to-face -face human interaction. This is not biblical community as God intended. We've drifted away from the example that we see in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He writes, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. So that's Philippians 1 verses 22 to 26. And, and here we see Paul is focused on the progress and the joy in the faith of the Philippians. It's not news that our Western society is extremely individualistic. And I think this has crept into our expectations for the church. Many of us, myself included, uh, you know, a little over five years ago, get this checklist mentality when it comes to being a Christian. 
what can you do for me this week, church? Went to church this week, heard the sermon, check. Went to the Bible study this week, oh, extra credit. Read a devotional this week, check. No, wait, double extra credit. Now, one more thing to point out. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, wait for the lost sheep to come to you. This great commission is a call to go out and do something and not just check the box. But how many of us actually do that? Or are we more like the fig tree that Jesus curses because we aren't bearing fruit? As Christians who God created to be in community, we must execute this mission. That is the task at hand. But before we get there, I would argue that we need to get this concept of community figured out. How do we as Christians thrive in community? I think we can actually scope it back a little bit and say, how do we as human beings thrive in community? This is how God created us, so it's a good question for us to reflect on. So if we step out of the Bible for a moment, we can look at some research. Brene Brown is a professor and an author and a researcher who has spent the past two decades studying courage and vulnerability and shame and empathy. She has authored six number one New York Times bestsellers, and she has one of the top five most viewed TED Talks in the world with over 50 million views. And in this particular TED Talk titled The Power of Vulnerability, she says, connection is why we are here. It's what gives us purpose and meaning to our lives. So even here, we see a secular researcher pointing to God's truth that we human beings are wired or we are knit together for community and connection. And so she relates as she, you know, over the course of her 10 years of research on people who feel a sense of belonging and love, she discovered there is one variable between the groups who felt community and those who struggle for it. And that variable, in her opinion, is the key to community. Guess what that variable is? In her words, it is excruciating vulnerability. She said the research showed that, quote, in order to have connection, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, really seen, close quote. She also discovered something about herself in the research. She said, quote, I have a vulnerability issue, and I know that vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness, but it appears that it is also the birthplace of joy of creativity, of belonging, of love, close quote. Vulnerability is the birthplace of belonging and love. And if we are honest, it is terrifying. It's scary, right, to be vulnerable. It's very scary. But can we just take a moment right now and marvel in the fact that research and science is pointing back to the word of God, to God's truth. This happens all the time, and I love when I see that happening. So why do I bring this all up? Right, the last episode we talked about identity. Well, identity leads to community, and community leads to mission, but we cannot have community without having vulnerability. So how are we excruciatingly vulnerable with our fellow Christians? Let me give you two Bible verses. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16 say, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, 
Uh, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a biblical obligation to pray over one another's troubles. We have a biblical obligation to celebrate with songs of praise. We have a biblical obligation to call the elders of the church to pray over our sicknesses and our illnesses and our injuries. And we have a biblical obligation to confess our sins to each other, to pray for each other, to be healed. We have a biblical obligation to carry each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. So these obligations require excruciating vulnerability so that we can live in community with each other. But there is, of course, some wisdom that must be applied. As Paul writes in the verse to Galatians, he says, But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. God's word is warning us that while it is good to restore others through prayer, we should be cautious so that we don't feel like we are the rescuer. Nobody on the planet at any time ever is qualified or is prepared to be the fourth member of the Trinity. While we bear each other's burdens, we cannot forget that it is God who does the actual work. We are merely ambassadors pointing others to him. Further, when we look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Look, I'm not calling for anyone to stand up right here or to get on social media and air their sins for the world to see. I think that is both unwise and unnecessary. But God's word in this Proverbs points us to a small group of friends that are closer than a brother. Then this small group of friends can not only pray for you and over you, but also help you with the accountability to keep you from that same sin. Now, if you have sinned against somebody else, of course, you should confess to them and seek forgiveness from them, and it should be given. But... And this is an important point. Ultimately, when we sin, we sin against God. And we should seek forgiveness from God through the death and the life and the resurrection of his son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our friends should point us to seeking forgiveness from God. Our pastors and our counselors should point us to seeking forgiveness from God because only God can truly forgive us of our sins. Living in true community comes with a cost. It requires intimacy and risk, and it will never be fully sufficient to meet our needs. But Christian community is a gift from God, even without the specific requirements or forms of what community should look like. While community can take many forms or missions, the most important aspect is the relationship with each other. To have community, there must be relationship. That is what matters. And with larger groups of people, it's very difficult to establish strong relationships based on vulnerability. I want to show you what happens when we get things right. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41, the people had just heard Peter speak that Jesus was Lord and Messiah in verse 36, and they asked what they could do, to which Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift from the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then in verse 41 we read, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people shed the false identity and assumed their kingdom identity, praise God, and then they banded together in community. 
Acts 2 verse 44 to 46 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here we see believers gathering in the temple courts and in each other's homes, sharing meals, teaching, worshiping, and praying, not in large numbers because there likely were very few areas that could hold large groups of people altogether. So this means that they were organized in small, intimate, relationally focused groups. And what was the result? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Praise God. May we strive to do the same. I bring up this topic because it feels awkward. I want to be in community with other Christians. I don't just want fellowship. It makes me feel uncomfortable to think about being excruciatingly vulnerable with people in order to build community, but as we've seen, science and research shows that it is necessary. As one of my mentors said, welcome to the awkward Christian life. And so right here, right now, we should examine how to step beyond this simple fellowship and into Christian community through excruciating vulnerability. Our pride gets in the way of this. Our lack of humility prevents this. Our fear of full submission to God's will gets in the way of this. But that is where Jesus comes in. We step into our fears and we walk out with the truth. We walk out with Jesus in community with him and in community with others because he lived the perfect life in community that we have not been able to get right from the start because of our sin through his sacrifice on the cross for our sins and through his overcoming of death and through his resurrection to sit at the right hand of God the Father, we can live in the way in which God created us to live, bringing glory to him to share the good news and to go and make disciples. I hope this has been enjoyable. May God bless your day. 